Hello and welcome back to Endopod. If you're new here, hi, my name is Hepsi Xavier and I'm a third year medical student. Today we're going to be looking at a type of tumour affecting the pituitary gland in our brains called a prolactinoma. We will look into the causes, what symptoms it can cause, how it's diagnosed and the treatment options available. We will also talk about the effect they have on pregnant women and how it may change the pregnancy experience compared to those who don't have prolactinomas. We'll start by discussing what exactly a prolactinoma is. It's a benign tumour of the pituitary gland in the brain, which means it's not cancerous, and it produces an excessive amount of the hormone prolactin. Prolactinomas make up around 40% of all pituitary tumours. Prolactin is normally secreted by the pituitary gland under the control of the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is a part of our brains which sits directly above the pituitary gland. Its job is to keep everything in our body balanced and it also works with the pituitary gland to secrete and control various hormones. You can think of the hypothalamus as being the composer of a piece of music and the pituitary gland is a conductor of the orchestra. Prolactin secretion is slightly different compared to other hormones secreted by the pituitary gland, whereby its secretion is mainly controlled by an inhibitory signal from the hypothalamus in the form of another hormone called dopamine. You may have heard of dopamine before, often referred to as a happy hormone which makes us feel elated. This is not the only role of dopamine. In fact, it's involved in many signals within the brain, with prolactin secretion control being only one of its many roles. Secretion of prolactin is regulated by short-loop feedback. This means that as prolactin levels build up in the blood, it leads to dopamine production in the hypothalamus. This in turn will stop prolactin production and bring levels back down to normal. There is no underlying cause for a prolactinoma to develop, it just happens randomly. But what we do know is that it's a commonest hormone-producing pituitary tumour. They're slow-growing, the majority occur randomly, and they predominantly affect premenopausal females aged 20 to 50. A minority of patients with the condition may have a genetic syndrome such as multiple endocrine neoplasia 1. Patients with a prolactinoma have persistently raised blood levels of prolactin. Due to such high levels, it can disrupt the reproductive system by causing hypogonadism, which is when the sex organs produce very little to no sex hormones. This is because it suppresses hormones responsible for this such as follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, which are both produced by the pituitary gland are essential for production of estrogen and testosterone. It also disrupts dopamine secretion from the hypothalamus, therefore enhancing high levels of prolactin in the blood. In other words, it removes that short-loop feedback I described earlier on. Prolactinomas can be classed as either microadenomas, which are small tumours less than 10mm in diameter, or macroadenomas, which are larger tumours greater than 10mm in diameter. Microadenomas rarely grow in size and are the most common type found in females, whereas macroadenomas tend to grow and invade into surrounding structures. Sometimes they need intensive treatment. Males and postmenopausal females are associated more with the large invasive macroadenomas. A raised prolactin level isn't always due to a prolactinoma. Other causes include pregnancy, breastfeeding, stress and even some medications can cause it. Prolactin levels are highest during pregnancy and in women who produce milk for breastfeeding. During pregnancy, prolactin levels rise and reach a peak level immediately before delivery of the baby. Following delivery, the levels of prolactin decrease to a low pre-pregnancy level. 
However, it peaks again during breastfeeding when there is stimulation and suckling of the nipples. In addition to this, any medications which block the action of dopamine can lead to prolactinomas, as well as medications that replace estrogen. Symptoms of prolactinomas vary between females and males. Females may present with absent or infrequent periods, milk production from the breast when there is no pregnancy or breastfeeding, and acne. Some females may also experience excessive thick dark hair growth on their face, neck, chest, etc. Males may present with erectile dysfunction, decreased body and facial hair, and uncommonly gynecomastia, which is the growth of breasts in males. Common presenting features between both sexes may include infertility due to impaired egg production in females and potentially low sperm count in males, reduced libido, visual field abnormality and osteoporosis. Patients may also present with no symptoms with an incidental finding of raised prolactin. The diagnosis involves doing a blood test to confirm prolactin levels are elevated. Testing for other hormones produced by the pituitary may also be carried out to see if they are within the correct range. If initially presenting to the GP, they may then refer you to an endocrine specialist for further tests such as an MRI scan of the pituitary gland. All patients with macro or larger prolactinomas undergo computerized visual field testing to reveal any visual field disturbances. Treatment options include observation and monitoring for those who don't have symptoms, have a normal menstrual cycle and don't desire pregnancy. For women who haven't been through menopause yet and are showing symptoms, the first call of treatment is dopamine replacement with medications. These inhibit further prolactin secretion thereby allowing prolactin levels to normalise and the tumour to shrink. Further options down the line include surgery or radiotherapy. For postmenopausal women with a microadenoma, the first line of treatment is simply observation. These patients don't usually require any treatment and any abnormal breast milk production usually improves when estrogen levels gradually decrease post-menopause. However, postmenopausal women with macroadenomas do require treatment and follow the same treatment outlined for symptomatic premenopausal women. Males also follow this. Pregnancy in women with macroprolactinomas have been linked to an increased risk of growth of the tumour. During pregnancy, the pituitary gland grows in size due to increase in estrogen levels, which creates the risk of increasing the size of any existing pituitary tumour. Tumour cells in prolactinomas have proteins on their surface which fit with estrogen molecules, also known as estrogen receptors, so they get excessively stimulated in pregnancy leading to an increase in size of the prolactinoma alongside an increase in levels of prolactin. The key concern around prolactinomas in pregnancy is growth of the tumour and the risk of growth has been found to depend on the pre-existing size before pregnancy. Data has shown that the risk of tumour growth for microprolactinomas is 3%, but for macroprolactinomas it is 32%. It is recommended that women who plan to conceive undergo an MRI to document baseline tumour measurements for comparison with measurements during pregnancy. As prolactin levels increase in pregnancy as mentioned before, it doesn't reliably represent tumour growth and therefore it's not useful for clinical assessment. The management of microprolactinomas during pregnancy includes counselling on the very low risk of tumour enlargement, stopping dopamine replacement therapy once pregnancy is confirmed and seeing a doctor urgently if symptoms such as a severe headache or visual disturbances occur. 
It is most likely that dopamine replacement therapy will need to be restarted if these symptoms do occur. The management of macroprolactinomas during pregnancy is slightly more complex. The risk of significant tumour growth has been reported to fall from less than 30% to more than 5% if the patient has been treated with radiation or surgery before they become pregnant. The patient should be counselled on the higher risk of tumour growth compared to microprolactinomas, the need for normalisation of prolactin levels, the importance of treatment before conceiving, the need for routine visual field testing every trimester and to see a doctor urgently if unusual symptoms occur. For smaller macroprolactinomas, dopamine replacement should be stopped once pregnancy is confirmed. Those pregnant with large tumours or invading beyond the pituitary gland are strongly advised to receive definitive treatment before trying for pregnancy. If there is no response to dopamine replacement medications, the alternate options are surgery in the second trimester or early delivery if the pregnancy is far along enough. The two main medications used are bromocryptine and cabergoline. The safety record of both of these are equal, however cabergoline has increased efficacy and fewer side effects. Bromocryptine is usually the first drug of choice due to limited safety data for the use of cabergoline. The most important thing for women with prolactinomas who plan to conceive is to discuss with their doctor so as to obtain as much information as possible about the safety of a pregnancy. We've now looked at prolactinomas in a lot of detail. If this is the first time you've heard about it, then I hope you've learned a thing or two. If you've already heard about it in the past, then I hope this podcast has been good revision of your existing knowledge. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and thank you for listening in. Keep a lookout for next week's episode and another interesting topic. Please do follow us on our Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages. Please like and share this podcast with all your friends and colleagues and of course I always welcome any feedback. If you have any requests for future podcasts, then absolutely let us know. As always, we're very grateful for the support we're receiving. Before I go, I want to say a big thank you to Human Ho, one of our revision workshop facilitators who was involved in the making of this episode. Stay safe and happy. This is Hepsi Xavier, signing off. Disclaimer. Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society is a student-led organisation and the content provided through Endopod is solely for informative purposes. This does not replace advice of a doctor or any other healthcare professional. The medical students involved in the making of this episode are in the third and fourth year of their medical studies. All the information provided in this episode was researched on appropriate resources. For references, please see the episode description. Thank you.